When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hi there, I am back with horse racing today. I'm joined by John Gorton, a former classic winning jockey, who is now the director of a racing club in Borneo. How are you today, John, in Borneo? I'm very well, thank you, Stephen. It's good to speak to you. Yes, very good. What's the weather like in Borneo? Always the same. Very warm, never cold, rains a lot. Um... But yes, no, I, all you need here is an umbrella. That's all. You don't need a jersey or gloves or anything. Nothing. Well, we've had quite a bit of rain here lately, but not quite the same temperature. But uh, Correct. On the classic theme, uh, I think you won the Oaks in England and South Africa, the Austrian Derby and St. Ledger's in Germany and Norway. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And I won the, and as a trainer, I won the Southwick and Oaks twice. Well, you've certainly been a globetrotter all your life. Now, I wanted to ask you about your current role as the um, director of this racing club at the Royal Sabah Turf Club. What what jobs do you get in, in this role? Well, I I sort of overlook almost everything. I don't test the jockeys. I do the testing of the horses uh, on the bloods. I advise the stewards on the running of races and if there's a jockey who uh, caused interference or I didn't think was trying or, yeah. So I I do everything, a lot of things. Anyway, I, I help on the track. Um, yeah, I... I advise jockeys and trainers if they need help in any way. Um, yeah, I, I generally I do a lot of things here, uh, all to do with horse racing. So they're, they're long days at the races then? On race day, yes, yes. Because I, I also spin the bloods at night after racing to, to, to get the serum up because we, we have to then send the bloods to the lab in Penang 
the next day. So yeah, I'm I'm very I, I am busy. Yes, but it's good. I I love it. The the at this stage of my life, it's 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 very good for me. Very good, and I and I can help people. Um, a lot of trainers, a lot of jockeys. I can tell jockeys what they do wrong, and yes, it, it's it suits me very well. Well, let's go back a bit now. You were born in Johannesburg on the fifth of June, nineteen forty-six. You've got a birthday soon. You came from a racing family. Your father was a trainer. How old were you when you sat on your first horse or pony? About uh, 14 and a half. But by the time I became an apprentice, I was, I was 15. And, you and were... I was apprenticed at the uh, South African Jockey Academy. I was one of the first to, to go to the academy. My father was a, a good trainer, but he always wanted to go for the big kill, so to speak. And he was uh, warned off for a year, and that actually changed my life because I was up for grabs, so to speak, and uh, two people applied for me, and one was Fred Rickaby, and they drew it out of a hat, and I went to Fred Rickaby, which changed my life. He was a very good trainer, and he trained for a sugar baron who unfortunately died recently, a man called Chris Sanders. And Chris Sanders said to me, even though I was only an apprentice, he said I could be stable jockey. And if I matriculated and if I was champion apprentice, he'd send me to England, which I did. I did both of those things. And I actually went to England in 1966 and I spent not very long, about uh, two months, three months, about three months. And I rode out for Sir Noel Merlis. And I rode my first winner at Yarmouth on Nelian for for Noel Merlis. Um, it was a wonderful experience. And in, in all of that, Noel Merlis must have thought I got on well with Phillies because he put me on a filly called Abbeyfield. And Abbeyfield was an absolute bitch. She was a bitch. And I had to ride her every day. And I'd go there and I'd have a look on the board. Gorton, Abbeyfield. Oh, anyway, he then one day, Noel Mellis came to me and he said, John, he said, would you like to ride Abbeyfield at Newmarket? And I said, oh, yes, Mr. Mellis, I'd love to. And Lester had ridden Abbeyfield the time before as hot favourite. and. As I said, she was a she was a right bitch. Anyway, she got left, and in those days, they they were still using the old uh, the old tape, and Lester missed the start on her, and she lost all chance, and was no end. She was hot favourite, but I was very good in South Africa using the old barriers. We hadn't started. We were also using the old tape, and we at those at those days we weren't using starting gates, and I was very good at out of the gates. Anyway, I, I rode I, and I got her away and she won and she won at Newmarket. So, yeah, uh, wonderful. I mean, in that, in that sort of six-week period that I was actually riding, I, I rode, I can't remember the name of the horse. Dick Hearn put me on a, on a second-string horse at Newmarket. It was a seven-furlong race. I forget what it was called. And it was pouring with rain. And I was very good out the barriers. And 
and the, you know, there's the starter with these bowler hats and everything, and they were all lined up, we're ready to go in, and nobody went forward, they're all hanging back, but of course I I didn't know, I went like hell straight into the thing, and the gates went up slowly because of the weight of the water, and I I ducked down, and the the top of the the the, the tape caught the top of my skull cap and pulled it on the back of my head. But I got about a eight or ten lengths break on the field and won. <laughs> uh, of course I didn't ride the race of the horse the next time Joe rode it and won again. Uh, just taking you back a bit, John, you, you didn't mention that in South Africa you were the champion apprentice in 1964, 1965 and 1966 and you were champion jockey in 1967. So you must have gone after this uh, uh, period riding in the UK in 1966. You must have then gone back to South Africa in 1967. Yes, correct. And I, I had been away for four months and I came back in the December and I won everything after that and was champion was champion jockey. When I left, I'd ridden four winners and I think when I returned, the leading riders were, I, I don't know, 30, 30, 35 winners. We remember that we only raced once a week then or, and occasionally on a Wednesday, but it was generally once a week racing. And then you came back to the UK in 1969 to ride for Lord Rosebery. How did that move come about to be appointed as his sort of stable jockey? In late 68, I received a letter from Sir Jack Jarvis asking, asking me would I be interested in uh, being number one jockey for Park Lodge. And, of course, I naturally accepted. I got very excited and said yes, uh, and I accepted. And then Sir Jack Jarvis used to always, every winter, he'd go, he'd take the Union Castle sh- uh, ship and go to Cape Town, and he'd spent. Um, and on this this particular year, he was apparently leaving to go to Southampton to get on the ship, and he he died. He, uh, I'm not sure what he died of, whether it was a heart attack or. But anyway, he died. And when I heard this, of course, my my world fell apart. Um, and I thought, oh, now what do I do? And lo and behold, uh, I had I received a telegram from Lord Rosebery to say that everything remained the same. So I was very happy, very pleased, and relieved because I'd already told Fred Rickaby and Chris Saunders that I would be uh, leaving their their stable and because I was going to England. That must, that must have been a big decision to come over to the UK. You had no doubt about coming though. No doubt at all. It, um, England, when I first left South Africa to go and ride in England and rode for Sir Noel Merlis and and spent that short period of time there. When I returned to South Africa, my whole idea of the racing had changed. Before I left to go to England, um, Grable Racecourse uh, was so, and Clarewood Racecourse, it was so big and so 
daunting and all those sort of things. But when I came back from the UK, it suddenly wasn't daunting anymore. It was, um, oh, it wasn't as good as, as, as the UK. And because of that, I, it, it, I rode with a lot more confidence, utmost confidence, because I'd experienced something better. Well, I considered better at that stage anyway, and it was, and that, and it, it made me a better jockey because I rode with greater confidence, and it wasn't sort of, oh, it's, it, it, I have to win this, you know. It was your whole thinking was different. You'd go out and say, oh, yeah, I'll win this, you know. That was the difference. Whereas before, I'd say, oh, I have to win it. This time, it was, oh, I'll win it anyway. It was your thinking on that made the difference. And it must have been fantastic to be riding the primrose with rose hoops and cap for Lord Rosebery. Well, it was. And do you know that when I, when I started racing in Australia, I used Lord Rosebery's colours. Those are my colours I used, primrose and rose. And, of course, in, in Australia, it was pink and yellow, <laughs> but it was primrose and rose. Yeah, those are the colours I used, and those are my, were my colours in, in, in Australia. Well, you made an, an immediate impact because on the 7th of June, uh, you won the Oaks on Sleeping Partner to become the first South African to win a British classic. Uh, what a start for your career in England. It was. It, and, and, of course, the other thing about it is that by riding on all these different race courses, left hand, right hand, you know, the variety of course of take a take a, a race course like Brighton, where you run run along the top of a hill, down a hill, up, you know, it's so different. There's no other racing country in the world has the variety of tracks that the UK has, and I think that makes for better jockeys because you have to be able to use the whip in both hands and it makes you a better rider, better jockey, whereas you can go to America and they're all left-handed, you know, everything's left-handed. I I like the different variety that you had in the UK. And and that same year in 1969, you won uh, races at Royal Ascot? I won the... Jersey Stakes on Crooner, that was the yes, and then of course I, I won the um, the Rubersdale uh, on Sleeping Partner, and uh, a year or two later I won the Coronation Stakes on Jacinth. Yes, she was a great mare, Jacinth. She was probably the best horse I ever rode. I rode some good horses. I was lucky. She should have won the the Guineas. Uh, she ran second. She was short of a run. But besides that, she was very good, very good indeed. In fact, one race at, what was it, at Goodwood, she was on her wrong leg. She she ran second to, was it Thatch? I can't remember. And she was on her wrong leg. And I came back and I said to, to Bruce Hobbs, I said, Governor, she was on her wrong leg. And I thought, he, he must have thought, oh, what are you talking about? Because she, she jumped from one, which was down, it was a mile race, and she jumped from the one, and Lester won it on, I think it was Thatch, and he was, drew nine, and he was up on the right hand. Anyway, she was so good that she she ran second on her wrong leg, and I couldn't get her to change. I knew she was on the wrong leg. And 
two weeks later on the same track, and this time I drew nine, she was on her right leg and she won by six lengths and, and, had, and ran a faster time than Thatch. Well, as you say, um, I was going to mention Jacinth because she was the leading two-year-old of uh, 1972, uh, yes. trained by Bruce Hobbs, who was very well known for training fillies. And yes. you also won the Coronation Stakes, as you mentioned, in 1973, and the Falmouth Stakes in 1973 at, uh, at Newmarket. Um, That's right. What was it like, uh, you, as well as riding for Doug Smith, as I say, you rode for Bruce Hobbs at Palace House Stables, where the National Horse Racing Museum is now. What was it like riding for him, Bruce Hobbs, and working at, uh, at Palace House Stables? It actually worked out very well because I had, I had two retainers. My, my first retainer was for uh, Lord Rosebery, so I would go and ride on certain days for him, and then they had an arrangement that I would go on the other day or two for for Bruce Hobbs in the mornings, you know the 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 um, I'm talking about the track work, but obviously because of two retainers, Lord Rosebery had first call on me. Um, but Doug Smith and Lord Rosebery parted in at the end of '69. Bruce Hobbs became his trainer. Well, that actually suited me personally very well because I had the the two retainers. Were for the same, uh, for the were in the one yard, so it made it made it easier. It was easy, and it, it was a good relationship. I was there for six years for Lord Rosebery. He was he was wonderful, wonderful. And what was it like working at Palace House Stables? Good, Bruce Bruce Hobbs was um, he was a hard taskmaster, but I think he was fair and he was a good trainer. Yeah, I had a lot of success with him. I always did what, you know, I always try to do uh, what he said he would like me to do. The only time I actually ever disobeyed him was uh, I won the Chibley Park on, on on Jacinth, and, of course, I rode Cry of Truth. And I'd, I'd ridden Cry of Truth at her first start, and she won at Doncaster 20 past nine one night. Bruce Hobbs wasn't there that night, and the ground was bottomless, bottomless. And she she skated through it. She won by four lengths. I never let her go, and the ground was bottomless. Anyway, it came it came to uh, the Chibley Park, and Dick Radcliffe was a racing man, and he said to me, he said, oh, he said, your governor's very worried about the track because that had an awful lot of rain, and it was still raining in the morning. And he said to me, he said he's going to, he told me that he's, you're going to have to hold her up and sit. And I didn't say anything. I thought, I'm not doing that. And and we went in the barriers and the gates opened and I let her rip and she went clear, probably five, six, seven lengths clear. And then I just dropped over her neck because, you know, Lester was a great jockey and Lester when you watched him ride in a lot of the races, especially if the horse was in front, he would crouch over the neck and just give the reins away and the horse would have no pressure on the mouth and the horse would automatically slow up in front. And this is exactly what happened with with Cry of Truth. I was well clear and I just sat forward and 
they were, and her ears were pricked. So if a horse's race is in a race and the ears are pricked in front watching, means they're not, they're doing it easy. And of course, we got into the bottom of the dip and that it was heavy, it was heavy. And of course, our ballad had this big break and Freddie Head rode a horse from France, I can't remember its name, and it came from the clouds and it runs second. I won two lengths. But if I had have held the horse up, I think I would have got beat. I don't think I would have won. So that was the only time I actually ever disobeyed Bruce Hobbs's orders. Yeah. Well, among your among your other victories during your time in, in the UK, you won the Gordon Stakes, you won the Goodwood Cup, and you won the Lancashire Oaks. But you returned to South Africa in 1974 to start training. Had you always intended to go back as soon as that to start training? No, I hadn't. I actually, I, I was asked to see Harry Oppenheimer in London and I went to see him thinking that he wanted me to be his jockey and he asked me to be a, a, his trainer, which really surprised me. But you see, I was only in the UK on a work permit. So as soon as the racing ended, even though I owned two motor cars and a house and everything, I still had to get out of England for the end of the racing season and could only return at the start of the new season. So, yeah, it wasn't it hadn't planned the way I, I, I hadn't planned that to happen. But anyway, it's, it's all what under the bridge now. It's, um, it's been a very interesting, very different life. Well, you've certainly you've certainly travelled the globe training, but you were you were quite young to start training. Yes, I was. Um, yeah, it wasn't what I'd planned. I, I won the Southern Oaks twice. I won the UTA handicap, and I won you know I won some Transvaal handicap. I won a few good handicaps, but the the negative was that Harry Oppenheimer's main. Stallion was a horse called Ribophilia who ran second, I think it was in this in the ledger. And he was a Rebo horse, but he but a lot of the Oppenheimer mares were by free ride of a French horse. And I don't think you know it's always easy afterwards. You didn't know at the time, but I don't think the mayor suited and he he wasn't a particularly good stallion. So the winners weren't as good as they had hoped. I was there five years, and then I decided that it was South Africa also things were not crash hot. And anyway, we had no children, so we decided to emigrate. So we went to Australia. And yeah, Australia... Did, did you yes. miss the riding, though? Did you miss the riding? Yes, I did. I, 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 I think that riding in the UK was very hard to surpass, you know, especially if you were lucky and and you had success. I I think like anything, Stephen, if if you're not doing very well, it's it's a tough life. It's a tough life being a jockey if you're if you're down the bottom of the list somewhere. Um, but if you're successful, it's a it's a, a winning good races that you plan and work out and and it, you win. It's a buzz you can't buy. No. Well, you were regularly riding over 50 winners um, a season in the UK. And as you say, after South Africa training, you then went to to Australia and you started there in Perth, I think. Yes, I was in Perth. I, I did well, but 
Perth was a tough place and uh, there was a, the rocket racer incident and, and I thought this is gangster stuff. And anyway, um, I actually met Lord Chelsea in, in Perth and he, in the street one day, I was so surprised. I didn't know, but he owned a, a farming property south of Perth. Anyway, I, I, I said to him, I said, oh, it's good to see you, Lord Chelsea, and blah, blah, blah. And we were speaking and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going, I'm moving actually to Brisbane. And he said, oh, good. He said, I'll have horses with you then, which is what he did. And he and I, I trained for him successfully in Brisbane for, I don't know, long, a long time. And, and we had a wonderful time. He used to come out and spend the English winter with us. And we'd go to Badara Island and Lizard Island and wonderful, wonderful. Anyway, and there was one story I will tell you about Lord Chelsea. Lord Chelsea had a, he had, he's now Lord Cadogan, but in those days he was Lord Chelsea. And I had a horse, his name was Glen Locken big grey horse and I ran him in the Brisbane Cup a two mile race and they start from the 1200 meter mark and go you know 300 meters and they turn left anyway there were two fallers in the race and they fell right in front of him and he hurdled them and he ran fourth he wouldn't have won but he would have run second so I phoned Lord Chelsea and I said, listen, I said, he ran fourth, but I said, that horse is a natural hurdler. I said, they fell right in front of me and he cleared them and recovered. And anyway, so we organized to send him to the UK. Anyway, the horse was in training with Henrietta Knight and I came over and rode in a retired, in a retired jockey's race at Ascot. And I rode one for Dick Hearn and ran second. I forget his name. So, of course, I was staying with, with Lord Chelsea and we went to dinner and, you know, a lot to drink and all the rest of it. And he, he said to me just before going to bed, he said, oh, incidentally, he said, tomorrow you're riding a gallop. What? He said, yes. He said, you've got a gallop, Glen Lochan. Oh, and I was full of alcohol. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't feel very good the next morning. Anyway, I went out on a road in big, strong grey horse. And we galloped him, and Lord Chelsea said, well, will he win? And I said, no, my lord, I don't think he will. But I said, I think he'll run well. But I said, after that, he'll win. And exactly what I said, he ran fourth at, I'm not sure where. And then he won three straight. And one of them was at Sandown. He won, the, he won a race by 12 lengths. And on the night before he ran... It poured with rain, and Henrietta, Henrietta Knight called me in, in, in Australia, and she said, John, she said, I, she said, I think I should tell Charles to scratch him. You know, it's, it's going to be bottomless. What do you think? I said, run. I said, you'll win. You won by 12 lengths. Anyway, and he unfortunately died. He, he broke a hip in, a, in an accident they had snow and couldn't get out the box and all that but he was and that was Lord Chelsea's horse and I bought him in New Zealand and he was by three legs out of La Bruea how I remember this I don't know <laughs> and he was called Glenlochen because of the La Bruea the, the hedges 
uh, that they have up at Glen Lochan, yeah. So, a wonderful story. Oh, when I think about it. Oh. Yeah, and, and after that, you went to China. Um, how, did, how did you finish up training in China? That must have been different. China, China was, a, was a trainer's paradise. I had uh, 55 horses. I ran the apprentice school. Um, I won the first 2 million RMB a race called the, uh, the, the Blue Diamond Stakes. It was a trainer's paradise. Oh, and everything was paid and, and you, you went to the races and you had um, one groom for two horses. It was wonderful until the government closed it down. They, there was no gambling, of course, but everybody was gambling and the race course was wonderful, wonderful. And they, they, uh, the winters are, are cold and the ice and all that, and they, would, they, would, they had these, these two big racetracks uh, the a the a grass and the b grass and they would cover it in the winter with plastic covering and and have a sprinkler and the sprinkler would go around and they would take the the uh the plastic mesh away um the plastic covering away about two weeks before racing and they'd and it would just be green absolutely glorious yeah it was it was Wonderful racing, wonderful, and of course there was no, there was no stands. They had twelve rooms, and each room had twelve rooms. So they were, it was a big room, and they each had twelve with all betting terminals and people, and and it was jam packed, and there was no advertising. Well, you certainly lived a very varied life and travelled all around the world. Um, are your roots now in Borneo? Yes, um, if possible, the, the life here, the life is very good. As long as my health is good, I'd like to stay here, yes. It's, it's simple, um, the track's good. The track's almost on a, on a par with Cranji. It's almost an exact replica of Cranji Racecourse in, in Singapore. Yeah, the lifestyle is, is very good. I, I, the weather's nice and it's not cold. and. That sort of thing, yeah. It's been a it's been a very interesting life. It's a very different life, you know. And and I'm blessed that I was given the opportunity to ride for somebody like Lord Rosebery, you know, wonderful. And some of Lord Rosebery's owners, you know, Tom Blackhall, he was the head. I won the chest of the. Well, I won the chest of vase on Jupiter Pluvius. Um, he was a good horse, and we fancied him for the Derby. But he had to have soft ground, and of course, it never rained. And Epsom can get pretty pretty hard, and so we didn't. We we never ran him. But yeah, it, um, and the Villas, Tony and Claire Villa. I was very fortunate for them. I rode Take a Reef, and 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 I won. The, I won the Extel Stakes for them. And, you know, he had some wonderful owners, Bruce Hobbs, and and we were successful. It was. Wonderful times, wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. You've mentioned there at the Derby at the end, and we're looking forward um, in a short period of time to the Kazoo Derby and the Kazoo Oaks, a race, of course, that you won back in 1969. Thank you very much for being with me, John. Thank you, Stephen. Wonderful to talk to you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion. 
Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at the Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.